Hello, hello, and welcome to our first episode. Welcome. You may be asking, do we really need another podcast? Um, yeah, the answer is always more podcasts. And possibly the most insane electoral year of all time. We thought, hey, we should make a podcast about voting. We should make a podcast about voting. I mean, after all, we're experts in voting. We're soups adorable. We love to talk. And we're pretty much going to be talking about voting all the time everywhere anyways, so why not do it in front of a microphone? Like literally all the time. All the time. Uh, We run two national voting organizations and get questions about voting every single day from listeners just like you. At least we think like you. Because this is our first episode. Yay! We really have no idea who's listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. We love you. We do love you. Uh, And we really want you to vote. We actually, we really need you to vote because as black women whose lives are literally on the line here, we're kind of begging you to vote. Like really on the line, for real. This is not a fire drill. (laughs) Literally every day is a new kind of fresh crazy. In my 19 years of working in elections and following politics, I've never seen an election like this one before. And we're not even close to the end. I mean, Kat, have you seen this before? Well, look, first of all, I'm very, very young, so I haven't seen much because I basically just came out of the womb. I'm, But I read a lot, and I'm pretty sure that none of these things have ever happened before, and they'll never happen again because the world is going to end, like, tomorrow. I think we're going to make it, but this pandemic is really giving us a run for our money. But okay, before we get too far, perhaps we should give a bit of background about who we are and why you should listen to us. Excellent idea. I'm Andrea Haley, the CEO of Vote.org, where we work to simplify political engagement. I got involved with voting and voting rights because even as a young kid, I knew my rights were on the table if you didn't fight for them. I come from a long line of social justice workers and community activists. They fought for the right to attend desegregated schools, to practice law, to get married, to protect the vote. So now I'm here to pick up where my family left off and do my part to protect the vote for the next generation. And before I go any further, I just want to say Vote.org has registered 1.1 million people since January. So we're well on our way. Ooh, Vote.org is amazing. I am Kat Calvin, the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote. Uh, And we help people get the IDs they need for jobs, housing, medical care, COVID testing, because yes, believe it or not, you need an ID in a lot of places to get tested for the disease that the global pandemic is raging across the world, and to vote, shockingly enough. I've spent my entire adult life trying to make a measurable positive impact in the Black community and for this country. That effort has taken many forms. And after the 2016 election, I founded Spread the Vote to help people get the IDs they need to change their lives and the country. Uh, We're actually working around the clock to make sure that people who have the right to vote actually can vote because there are two very different things between having the right to vote and then being registered to vote and then actually being able to vote. That's three things. Who's counting? Uh, And we are working to make sure that people can follow all of those steps. So basically, our jobs are voting. Yep. All day, every day, voting. All day, all night. (laughs) And this year, since voting is more confusing than ever, and yet more important than ever, we're here to help you understand what's going on and what you could do to get yourself, your friends, your family, and random strangers on the streets to the polls. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Yourself, your friends, your family, and random strangers on the street to the polls. Look, I'm I'm usually, I'm not pro-kidnapping, unless you're a Hemsworth, but in this one instance... (laughs) 
I may be willing to change my mind. Now, I'm not saying that you should throw people into vans and drop them off at polling stations, but I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it either. Or maybe find a little less silence of the lambs way to get people to vote. I don't know. I'm not your mom. I'm just your friendly neighborhood podcast host. Luckily, that's exactly what this podcast is about. How to get people to the polls without being creepy. (laughs) It's about giving giving you answers you need to exercise your power. The most consequential election in our lifetime is just a few months away. And in the midst of a global pandemic, that is still a thing, even if we've chosen to ignore it. Um, Don't ignore it. It's really happening. Wear a mask. This election is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. So here's how the show will go down. For the next eight weeks, we will answer your biggest voting questions with the help of some friends and experts. And celebrities. We'll talk about turning out the youth vote, vote by mail, voting for returning citizens, and much more. We'll have in-depth conversations that will give you the information you need to feel confident about filling out your ballot. And then for the eight weeks leading up to the election, we're going to act with a little more urgency. We'll keep you up to date on the latest news in voting, what you can expect at the polls in your state. We'll recommend action steps for you to get your friends and community to the polls along with you. And we'll keep answering the questions that you send to votethepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message at 844-472-VOTE. And don't worry, those are in the show notes. You don't have to remember it now. From now to Election Day, we are here to help. In every episode, we're going to kick off with a question. This week's question comes from one of our listeners in Florida. Hi, my name is Lauren Hodei, and I'm a singer-songwriter and a citizen of the U.S. Thank you very much. (laughs) And I would like to know uh, just how you feel elections will be looking this November with everything going on. I think what we're seeing, it was definitely like a wake-up call for me in 2016, like, I hadn't registered properly and I couldn't vote in the primary. I had no idea who my local officials were then. You know what I mean? I didn't know that I had to educate myself about that. And so I think it's super important. Get acquainted with what you care about. You should care about everything, but (laughs) get acquainted with what you care about and what matters to you and see if the people that you want to vote for are in alignment with your values. I think what happens is that a lot of us feel disconnected or we're quote unquote not political but everything is political. This is my second time voting, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm very well aware of the shortcomings that I had last time I went to vote, and I want to be better this time. Oh my God, everyone, that was Lauren Haregi, a singer, songwriter, and former member of the girl group Fifth Harmony, who as of late has been using her 8 million follower strong platform to bring awareness to Black Lives Matter and some of the most pressing issues of today. And honestly, her question really gets to the heart of why we even started this podcast. So what we heard there is that the registration process can be confusing, and that's why at Vote.org, we do our best to simplify political engagement and take you through the steps that you need to go through in all 50 states to make sure that you're properly registered to vote and that you stay on the rolls. I think it's not at all unusual for what happened to Lauren to happen to a lot of people. I mean, we know that even the president's uh, children, the Trump children, weren't able to vote in the New York primary the year he was elected because they weren't registered properly. It's confusing. And there's so many confusing things after the elections. I mean, the number of people who we get uh, who email or text spread the vote like a day before the election or on election day because they didn't realize they needed an ID. Uh, There are a lot of steps to this. and It's so confusing. And again, that's why we're here. We want to help demystify this process. 
Absolutely. Look, it's a very confusing process. I run vote.org. My own parents in the primary election in Indiana weren't able to vote. Part of that was because there were five-hour long lines that, because of their help, they literally could not stand it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was no announcement about the poll closures or anything like that. So they never knew to anticipate that. And I think that what we're seeing here this year is just that people are going to have to make their plans, make their plans early, and use all of the resources at their fingertips, like vote.org, to make sure that you can check and double check registration status and all of that, but then also clear the day and make sure that no matter what happens or what obstacle you have to overcome, that your voice gets heard. But there will be obstacles. We can guide you through them. And we're going to be talking to you about what other resources are out there so that if you, for instance, can't clear the day, which a lot of people can't, uh, you know, Spread the Vote is working on a program to sort of help you maybe be able to have some help with standing in line. And there are so many organizations, including Vote.org and Spread the Vote, that are trying to anticipate uh, Lauren's question of what it, what is voting going to look like this year and figure out what are the ways that we can help. I'm So I know we're we're going on and on about this, but I think it's because it is important and confusing and possibly more of both this year than ever before. Yep. And important to recognize that you're not alone in this effort. Like th- this is something that everyone across the country is going through. We have elections that are administered um, by 50 different states um, mm-hmm. and state rules, and, and which makes this process uh, challenging. But it's a process that we can overcome. And that's the point. So today, to help us discuss this, we'll be talking to none other than the Stacey Abrams, a woman whose name has become synonymous with voting and voting rights. But first, we'll be giving you a little primer on what to expect leading up to November. So let's begin. Okay, Kat, things are complicated. What will voting look like in November? (laughs) Well, if I had the answer to that, I would set up shop as a psychic and be a millionaire by next week. But I like living on the edge, so let me pull out my crystal ball. The truth is, no one has an exact idea of what elections are going to look like in November because we have no idea what the country or COVID or murder hornets or anything else will look like in November. But we do know some things. We know that more people will vote by mail than ever before. Vote by mail is uh, is just voting at home. It's exactly what it sounds like. You get a ballot mailed to you. Some states call it absentee voting or vote at home. Uh, In many states, you can just request uh, to vote at home for no excuse. You know, in some states like California this year and Washington and Oregon, they just automatically mail you a ballot. In some states, you have to have a reason that you are choosing to vote by mail, like you are over 65 or perhaps you'll be out of the country or you're uh, incredibly ill and you can't make it to the polls, et cetera. So it really depends. But what it means is that rather than you having to go to the polling place uh, and vote that your ballot gets mailed to you and because of COVID and because it's not safe for any of us to be leaving our houses. There will be more vote by mail than ever before, and more states are making vote by mail accessible by ever before. More states are also creating more rules around this by ever before, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, And so there are a few things that this means. First of all, thank a postal worker because they are going to be putting in a lot of hours, you guys, a lot of hours, and they already work so hard through sleet and snow and COVID. Thank your mailman. Uh, And then also look up the rules in your state uh, because every state has different requirements for what you need to get an absentee ballot. And right now those rules are changing regularly. So I don't know, I recommend visiting sayvote.org for that information. I grew up in the Midwest and we put, we bake cookies and put them in the, you know, um, in the little mailbox and stuff for the postal workers. Do you guys do that in LA? In LA? First of all, <laughs> we don't eat cookies in LA. We drink wheatgrass shots. Uh, and second, no, I, I 
No, I've never baked. First of all, I haven't baked a cookie since I was like five. And I have never left anything <laughs> for my postal worker. But now I feel bad. And so I'm going to get some cold pressed juice and leave it for my postal worker next week. Okay. All right. Pulling it together. <laughs> Thank you for the plug, cat. And here's why we're here. Voting by mail is a change that many states are going to undergo this year. And we know that it takes longer to count the ballots in some states than you might be used to. So prepare yourself to not know who won the presidential or your state and local election for a few days, especially if races are close. Uh, Days, weeks, months. You guys, I'm not kidding. Take it from a Californian. Sometimes it's, it's legit so long until we know who won an election that we forgot the election happened. So you're not gonna know who won the presidential election before the polls close in Alaska like we normally do. And you just need to prepare yourself for that now. Another thing that you're going to have to prepare yourself for, uh, and in fact that you can do something about, is that we know there will be a shortage of poll workers, uh, which means a shortage of polling places. My mom is always a poll worker. She's the best. She's also always at least 20 years younger than everybody else working the polls because it's a thing you have to do all day and sometimes all day several days when you have early voting, which means it's usually something that is done by retirees and really lovely elderly ladies who probably do bake cookies for their postal worker. But right now we need all of those wonderful ladies and a few gentlemen to stay at home, which means that we need younger people who are more able to go out in public right now to become poll workers. Bonus, many states you actually get paid to be a poll worker. So there's that. Uh, But we really, really need to be thinking about how all of these processes work and how we can work with them uh, during this time. Because otherwise we're going to see lines that are as long as we've recently seen in Wisconsin and Georgia and other states, except this time it'll be in November. And I don't know if you've ever been to Wisconsin in November, but you don't want to be outside for five minutes, much less five hours. Kat's mom also writes all the thank you notes for Spread the Vote. So (laughs) give to Spread the Vote. Let her know that you decided to become a poll worker. And I bet you, you will get it back. You guys, she does. She writes all the little postcards and she gets so excited and she'll like call me and be like, oh, you should see the note that this person left. And she gets very excited. So please donate to spreadthevote.org for my mom. So I live in Indiana and I can tell you that November in Indiana is cold. All across the Midwest, it's cold. And so you might not want to wait in lines, but there are things that you can do to make sure that our in-person polling locations stay open so that there's a free flow of activity and that nobody has to stand outside. Young people, go be a poll Seriously, worker. Seriously, do, do, do it now. We also know for sure that voter suppression will be at an all-time high this year. We'll talk more about voter suppression in a future episode, but trust me, it is about to get real. We've already seen some Supreme Court decisions that have affirmed that voter suppression when it comes to vote by mail is going to be real. We have seen years and years of more and more restrictive voter ID laws and voter purging. Uh, you know, we're about to talk to the incredible Stacey Abrams about the challenges that she went through in Georgia. Uh, take it from two people who work in voting rights, fighting voter suppression. It is going to be really serious this year. And there has been serious money committed towards suppressing the vote as much as possible. And so it's really important that we're paying attention uh, to everything that's happening so that, again, you can be prepared. It doesn't mean don't vote. It doesn't mean that there's no way that your preferred candidate can win. It just means you have to be paying attention. Absolutely. Amen to that. (laughs) I think you should set up your psychic hotline because those predictions are on point. Um, Does this mean I can start wearing capes and very large hats? Because if so, sign me up and change my name to Lando Calrissian. 
Okay, Lando. Well, I know you're (laughs) secretly a doomsday prepper, but there are a lot of things to be hopeful about. The energy around elections is more vibrant than ever. Vote.org is breaking registration records. Spread the Vote has been flooded with ID requests, and people are fighting to make sure their voice is heard. All of the attempts at suppression are just making voters of all ages and demographics more determined than ever to vote. What we're seeing is the resiliency of the American voter. We're seeing people who, no matter what the system throws at them, uh, demand to have their voice heard and demand to be able to participate in their democracy. You know, even a cynic like me has to agree that that's true. And our guest today is actually one of the people leading that hopeful charge. So we're going to bring on Stacey Abrams, the woman whose name has become synonymous with voting rights in this country, right after this break. Hey, it's us, the Voting Preppers. This podcast is brought to you by us. (laughs) Just us. (laughs) Literally us. Spread the vote and vote.org. Kat and Andrea, just us. Anybody wants a sponsor? Sponsors, we need you. You are welcome to reach out to us. (laughs) We love you. We will sell your socks. We will sell your mattresses. We will sell your undies. We will will sell your toothbrushes. (laughs) Help us help people. (laughs) We just want to help people to vote. (laughs) Help us help you save democracy. (laughs) Amen. I'm Andrea. What's happening over at Vote.org that people should support? At Vote.org, we've helped a million people register to vote, and we've also helped a million people request their absentee ballots. So what we need you to do is make sure that you verify your registration status, that you verify that uh, you're registered to vote, and if you're not, go ahead and register, or that if you want to vote by mail, use our absentee tool and put your vote by mail request in. Those are the first action items you could take. After that, give money. Please give money. All the money. (laughs) All the money. At Spread the Vote, we continue to help folks get IDs every day, which is particularly challenging given the whole, I don't know, shelter in place, COVID, DMVs opening and closing and then opening and closing again, but we're doing it. Uh, We're also doing some super kick-ass projects like uh, Vote by Mail in Jail, which we're doing with, what's the name of that org? I can't, oh, right, vote.org, where we are helping people in hundreds of jails and prisons across the country be able to vote by mail. Uh, And we are actually rolling out just a bunch. It's actually about a dozen massive projects to help people vote and learn about voting and help their friends and neighbors vote all over the country. So I'm excited and also already exhausted. Those links again, vote.org and spreadthevote.org. Thank you. Stacey Abrams is an American politician, lawyer, voting rights activist, and author. Stacey served as minority leader in the Georgia House of Representatives and is founder of the voting rights group Fair Fight Action. So let's bring on Stacy. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us for our very first podcast episode. We're super excited to have you. I'm happy to be here. Stacy, you've had such a huge impact in Georgia and across our entire nation. Your work is so vital to the preservation of our democracy. And one of the things that I've always noticed and respected is that as you rise, you work to bring everyone along with you. Your last book, Leading from the Outside, told your story and also provided a tool set for people to learn how to lead. And you have a new book out now called Our Time is Now that I can't wait to pick up. So thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on your show. I I often get described as a voting rights activist, and it's, I think, a, a safe encapsulation of my real mission, which is 
I want to see people's lives be made better. And having grown up working poor in Southern Mississippi, I know that there are so many facets to our lives that are impacted by those who are elected to either lead us or worse, elected to ignore us. And we have to be very intentional about knowing that some people are being elected because of their promise not to serve certain communities, not to address certain issues. And we have to recognize that voting is the intercessor that allows us to either push those people out or at least lift our voices loud enough that we force someone to hear us. When I think about the utility of voting, I think about the school board members in South Georgia who worked together in 2010 to elect Black representation to a school board that represented a majority Black population. And the worry held by those women is that the decisions being made weren't being made for the benefit of those kids. It was being made for the benefit of property owners who didn't want to pay taxes for these children to learn. And in response, the Secretary of State, newly appointed Brian Kemp, had them arrested, charged them with 120 felonies, had them stripped of their jobs, stripped of their titles, ruined their reputations. That vote devastated their lives, but it also changed the future of that community because the woman who was arrested as the ringleader is now the mayor of Quitman, Georgia. She is in charge of helping make certain that wrongs in that community, whether it's whether the trash gets picked up or whether jobs pay a good wage, she gets to make those decisions these yes. days. And that's that's what I want people to understand, that there are moments of ignominy and evil that happen through voting, but that it's also that same process that leads to change and to progress. The same vote that could elect a George Wallace is the same vote that elected a John Lewis. Um, that's the greatest line I've ever heard, and I need it on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Stacey, I think one of the things that we've been talking about a lot at Vote.org is the resiliency of the American voter in Georgia and what we saw in the primary. We saw people who were standing in line until past midnight to make sure that they had their voice heard. And I think that we all know that showing up and fighting against oppressive systems can be exhausting. So what are your own personal routines that as you're moving forward and fighting voter suppression keep you going? What can you share with our listeners about how to stay heartened during disheartening times? I give myself permission to relax, which I think some of us feel is a disservice or even disrespectful. I watch an inordinate amount of television. It makes me happy. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it, I enjoy <laughs> scripted television because I like someone else's life that's going to be lived in 30-minute or one-hour increments and I can come and join, I can watch a procedural or I can watch a, if I'm watching non-scripted TV, it's only, I, I love watching uh, cooking competitions, but it's giving ourselves permission to be human and to not be overwhelmed by the scale of the challenges we seek to change. I want to fix democracy. <laughs> That's big. And I want to fix democracy because I want to eliminate poverty. Also, you know, a fairly aggressive goal. If I did not give myself permission to read a good romance novel or to lose myself in a fantasy novel, to watch TV, if I didn't give myself permission to rejuvenate, then I become useless because instead of serving others, I'm going to be have to tending myself in my sickbed. 
On that note, you know, your work in Georgia has struck a chord, I think, for that very reason, because it um, encapsulates you know, people's thirst and hunger to have their voices heard um, in this moment and to overcome systems uh, that try to keep them from doing so. Um, and so you're, you've really, your message has really resonated all across the country. What do you see as, um, as kind of flipping the script a little on the hopeful side of things? What do you see as a, a thriving democracy? What are the pro-voting policies that you would love to see put in place in every state? What is the vision for what our country really could be if we were building systems that included every voice? When I wrote Our Time Is Now, the first half of the book lays out all of the challenges of voter suppression, its history, its current iterations, where it is most aggressive and egregious. But it also highlights the contrast that, you know, in Georgia, in Florida, in Texas, in Wisconsin, there are challenges with being able to register and stay on the rolls in Ohio. But if you live in Oregon, you're automatically at it. If you live in Maine, you're good to go. And so, in fact, if you live in Maine or Vermont, if you are incarcerated, you're still considered a full citizen and allowed to participate. And so part of what I try to do is not just lay out the challenges, but show us that the promise is already here. We just need it to expand. We know that automatic voter registration transforms electorates. In states where you have automatic voter registration, you have higher rates of participation. The same thing is true when you have same-day registration. It is also true that when you can walk into a precinct and cast your ballot without having to have restrictive voter ID, it does not decrease the security of your vote. It increases the likelihood of your participation. And we know it works because it worked until 2005, when is when we first started seeing restrictive voter ID. But the other reality is that we should not have 50 different democracies that operate in contravention of the Constitution often. But because the Constitution delegates to the states the administration of elections, I'm hopeful about the fact that we are seeing more and more people taking those offices, taking those jobs, and understanding it is their job to expand access to the electorate, not to restrict it. And I spend the second half of the book not only talking about how we make our democracy work, but how we make all the instrumentalities of it work. And it's not made up. It is what we know works in state after state after state, just not the states where we need it to work for the people who need it the most. So first, we have to understand the architecture of voter suppression. And it has multiple iterations, but there are basically three pieces. Can you register and stay on the rolls? Mm -hmm. Can you cast your ballot is number two. And number three is, does your ballot get counted? And so in every state, there are different rules for how you register and stay on the rolls. So in your state, make sure you know what the rules are. So first, know the rules of how do you register and stay on the rolls. Number two, it's can you cast a ballot? If you think about all of those lines that we saw in Wisconsin, in Georgia, in Nevada, in Kentucky, that happened in part because of the closure of polling places. Making sure people have the ability to get to a place to vote is key. And so if you live in a state that allows local governments to shut down polling places, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Make sure, I mean, you've got time if you're you're still in sheltering in place. Find out how, how they decide your polling locations and who gets to go. There are these meetings in Georgia, for example, called the Board of Elections meetings. Most humans could not tell you what a Board of Election is. 
who is on it, how they got there. You know, find out. Make, make yourself an expert on that in your community because that's going to determine whether your neighbor who doesn't have a car and doesn't have access to public transportation and is a shift worker who has exactly two hours to figure out how to vote, that they have a place to go. In Georgia, we know that in 2018, when they shut down 214 polling places, it cost between 54,000 and 85,000 people the right to vote because they literally could not get to a polling location because instead of it being a mile away, it was eight miles away and they didn't have a car and there was no public transportation. The third example is, does your ballot count? In the age of COVID, we are going to need people to vote by mail because voting by mail is safe, it's accessible, and it also gets people out of line so those who have no choice but to be in line can do so safely. And so we need people to vote by mail. 34 states allow no excuses vote by mail. If you live in one of those states, make sure everyone you know is trying to vote by mail. But also know that one of the ways they don't count their votes is that their ballots never arrive, or worse, they arrive and they get thrown out. If you are Black or Latino, your absentee ballot is twice as likely to be discarded. If you are a young person, it is five times more likely to be thrown out. And so make sure you know what the rules are in your state, and make sure you're talking to community groups about how their right to vote by mail is real. Because the good thing is, if you know you can vote by mail and you try it, Try it early enough that if it doesn't work, you can then be one of those people in line. That's what happened to me. I know all the rules, and I still couldn't vote by mail because my absentee ballot envelope was sealed shut. And I tried my best to get a replacement ballot, but a, a replacement envelope, but apparently that would have taken an act of Congress. And so I had to go and get in line. But the reality was I knew the rules. And so the thing that you all can do, you don't need to know the rules of every state, but know the rules of your state. If you're in the 18 states where Fair Fight is working, it's Fair Fight. Um, so if you go to fairfight2020.org, you can learn all about your different states. And if you don't live in one of the states that's a, a target of voter suppression, we'd love to have you volunteer. Because sometimes it's just about having a text message that shows up and says, here's what you need to know. Or we know they're sending ICE officers, off-duty folks with, from ICE, to patrol in Arizona or Nevada we need you to show up and be there to tell people that it's safe to vote. So it's coming on board and helping us, but that's the architecture of voter suppression. And fairfight2020.org is a place to go to learn more about how you can help. So on that, can we, this is our very first episode. We have no idea who's listening. Probably my mom, Andrea's husband, and just a bunch of Stacey Abrams fans. Um, but you know, one of their biggest goals with this podcast is to help people understand both how they can vote in, you know, the most insane year of all time, but also how they can help their friends and families and communities vote as well. Uh, and so what are your recommendations for anyone who's listening who really cares about, you know, making sure people are able to vote in an age of COVID, in an age of voter suppression, and apparently an age of murder hornets, although luckily I haven't seen one of those yet. I'm, like, what is it that they can actually do? So in the wake of the 2020 election, I had, uh, so November 6th, election night, we have gotten thousands, tens of thousands of reports of voter suppression. The Associated Press does not call the election, and I agree because we don't have enough information. My opponent, as you may have heard, was the Secretary of State. So he was the contestant, the referee, and the scorekeeper. And shockingly, 
after 10 days, he was the governor. So in that 10-day period, I spent my time going through all the stages of grief, um, really enjoyed anger, had a lot of fun there, brought it with me. But I also started thinking about what else could I do? If I didn't become governor, how could I address this? And the three issues I wanted to tackle, what are the policies that need to be in place to make my communities, the communities that care about, make them more resilient? And for me, it's the South. How do we build the resilience of the South? Two, how do we ensure that the census is accurate and fair and counts everyone? And three, how do we make certain that democracy is protected? And so Fair Fight was the organization I created to tackle the issue of protecting democracy. We've got two parts. There's Fair Fight Action, which is our C4. They, it does our research. It does uh, our litigation. It does a lot of work with, on our advocacy side. And then we have Fair Fight PAC, which is our political arm. And through that, we developed Fair Fight 2020. And that's the organization that has, in 18 states, helped fund and support voter protection teams. And so we did our best to stand up these voter protection teams in the battleground states. And when we say battleground, we mean battleground not only for the White House and the U.S. Senate, as well as House, but battlegrounds for state legislatures. We cannot forget that. And and I know both of you are so aware of how critical this is. We're not just redoing the 2016 election in 2020. We're also redoing the 2010 election. And we know how that turned out. I do have one final question. What do you think this November is going to look like? I mean, I think that um, everyone on, uh, you know, here heads up voting organizations um, and is, is doing a lot of work and has been around for a few cycles, but this seems to be a really unique moment in time. Um, what do you think we're heading towards in November? What should listeners expect? Uh, yeah, what is just, what is your view on November? <laughs> <laughs> so I think people are using this term a lot, calling this an inflection point. And it is. It's an inflection point because we are in the midst of a public health crisis, an economic collapse, a reckoning with the systemic racism and systemic injustice. But we're also at a moment where we can do something about it. Elections are opportunities to declare who we intend to be. And then we spend the next two, four or six years grappling and scrapping to get there. But this moment is different because this is a moment where we can do something about it. I remember 1992. I remember the Rodney King verdict. I remember the uprisings. And I also remember the silence. I remember how quickly it dissipated and how we never held anyone truly accountable for a national reckoning. We can do that this time. Our demography is different. The people who are harmed, there are more of us now who understand that harm from a real intentional space as opposed to the academic conversation it had long been for so many. And we have the political capacity to coalition with those of good heart and good intention to create the change we need. Voting will not solve the problems. You cannot solve systemic injustice, systemic racism. You can't dismantle these structures overnight, but we can chip away at them. And more importantly, we can bulldoze the pillars and start to weaken them. And elections are how we do that. And this election is the most efficient election I can imagine because we're voting for the presidency, we're voting for the Senate, we're voting for the House, we're changing the state legislatures, we're about to select who's going to be in charge for the next 10 years based on those lines that get drawn. We can do a lot of good in this election. And I believe we want that good to be real. And I know that because the GOP, I know you guys are nonpartisan, I don't have that problem. 
because the GOP is doing everything in their power to undermine the legitimacy of this election, that to me is a call to arms. And our arms have to be attached to signs that we're waving in protest and to ballots that we're casting in progress. If we do those two things, I believe 2020 is going to be a watershed year for democracy and for progress. And then we'll get to work all over again on the very next day. This has been amazing. We appreciate you. We appreciate your work. And we're so happy you joined us today. We're super excited for everyone to pick up your book that just came out, Our Time Is Now, and go to fairfight.com. Thank you. So, Kat, what have we learned? Well, we learned from both Lauren and Stacy that making a plan to vote and being prepared is critical. Getting registered, voting early, sending in your absentee ballot early to ensure your vote is counted, they're all really important to know what you're doing and do them ahead of time. You also want to research your local and state races. These people represent you. They answer to you. So know who they are and know who you're voting for. Thank you so much for joining us on our official first episode of the podcast. Yay! To learn more about what's happening at Vote.org, you can follow us at Twitter or on Instagram. And you can find out more about the work of Spread the Vote by going to at Spread the Vote US on all the socials. You can also donate to both of our works to help us put out more podcast episodes. And uh, you can, of course, subscribe to this podcast and be kind leave a review. Five stars, preferably. But look, who am I? I'm not here to tell you what to do. We want you to subscribe because we're going to be discussing voting all the way to November. And we want to answer your questions. So if you have a question about voting, write us at votethepodcast at gmail.com, or you can call us. All of the information is in the show notes. And tell your friends. Tell them to listen and tell them to vote. Mm Mm-hmm.